Welcome to the live, ladies and gentlemen, audience, and of course the people in cyberspace, whether it's through YouTube or Facebook, and all the different channels. Just get this, okay. How to deal with people you don't trust. That's the topic this evening. Well, it's evening here in New York, but I know it's morning or afternoon in other places in the world that are watching. We have even a New Zealand people in the New Zealand audience that now is uh, it's, a, it's noon, noon or one o'clock Thursday. That's the miracles of technology. Um, so the ideas, however, are timeless. and They can be listened to day, night, because the issues of trust are fundamental. And I always like to talk about topics that either others don't discuss directly or that are very key and fundamental to... Uh, the whole, our own personal well-being and health. So let's talk a moment about what is trust and the crisis, you can even say, that we have in the world of trust. So what would life be without trust? If you didn't trust your parents, if you didn't trust your siblings, if you didn't trust your children, if you didn't trust friends, if you didn't trust your spouse, if you didn't trust other relationships and interactions, business-wise or, or, or uh, other uh, Otherwise, social-wise, what would life be? We'd be literally in a constant state of, uh, in a way, like fear or paranoia because um, we would be afraid of who is going to do what to whom. You know, trust is the basis and the, essentially the most important ingredient, maybe it's one of the most important ingredients and maybe the most important ingredient of a healthy relationship, of a healthy life. There's an element of trust. And trust means someone that you know you can rely on, you can depend on, they'll be there for you, and, uh, and even in an unconditional way. So, of course, like in all areas of life, everything begins with our childhood. Our childhoods, the first people we meet in life that uh, are the most, should be the most trustworthy are our parents. You know, a parent uh, naturally has a biological connection, an emotional, a psychological connection to a child. So a mother carries a child in its womb for nine months, and then when the child is born, healthy parents will nurture and protect and cultivate a sense and validate and reinforce essentially a child, and therefore the child will learn to trust those parents. Um, well, I, I should actually correct myself and say a child naturally will trust parents because they are the providers. They are the only source of nurturing and sustenance from the youngest of age. And if parents are healthy and they live up to it, that will actually validate and uh, reinforce the fact that the child can't trust those parents. Then, of course, trust can, extends over to siblings and family, to families, and then to large extended family, and then to friends and educators. And hopefully, as one grows older, they live in a society or in a community that, again, is trustworthy. This is the best case scenario, obviously. And... Um, it's important to spell that out because when it's working that way, basically, if you can trust someone, you also learn they teach you how to trust yourself. Because what really happens when not only that you're unable to trust, when someone you cannot trust, you also begin questioning yourself, and especially children. When they don't feel there's anyone to rely on, they also begin to question whether maybe something's the matter with them. So validation goes both ways. When you have someone that is trustworthy in your life, it'll teach you to trust yourself. And if you don't have someone trustworthy, it will teach you not to trust yourself. 
So the implications and the consequences of, non, of lack of trust are very far-reaching and deep and, can, and be, can be a wound that one carries their entire life. So obviously we're going to address that, how to remedy it, but I wanted to begin with the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario, if I may go in that direction, would be uh, parents who are absolutely not trustworthy. Either they are absentee or they're unreliable in some other way or they're even overtly or sub- subtly abusive and ways that basically a child who naturally will trust a parent suddenly begins to, after a while, see this parent can be relied on. And a child will fight for that trust. That's why children will bend over backwards to do anything to love and trust their parents. But after a while, what happens is, after a while that you don't get, you don't get that security that, one, that a child deserves, the child will begin to adjust and either stop relying or become cynical and obviously, as I said, also stop trusting itself. Now, what happens in that type of scenario? As that child will grow, it will grow into being a non that does not trust people. If you couldn't trust your parents, who could you trust? And this will affect all relationships. Because parents are the natural people that you want to love and trust, and you, want, you hope that they are there for you. And if they're not there for you from a young age, it creates this deep vacuum that will as I said, spill over in, in basically every relationship. I will soon talk about the different ways people compensate, but that's the foundation of the issue of trust. Now, when you think about it, some people you talk to, and I will break it into three categories. Some people you talk to say you can trust nobody. There are people who are cynical, sarcastic, and say no one can be trusted. When push comes to shove, people are narcissistic, they care about themselves. You could trust them if, uh, conditionally, if you're doing something for them while, they, while you're doing them a favor, maybe then you can trust them. And some will say you can't even trust them then. That's one extreme. Then there's the other extreme, we call them the naive group, which say everybody can be trusted, and they get hurt time and again until they stop trusting, or maybe they never stop, but they're very naive, and they just trust everybody and get hurt in the process because people take advantage. And then, which of course we're going to address, is how you find a balance. How do you find a balance in between the two where you don't either dismiss trust altogether or trust everything and everyone? And of course, that is the healthiest version. Now, these three different, I'll just talk about these two extremes don't happen in a vacuum. A guaranteed that a child that grew up in a home that you can trust your parents and your family unit will not be that sarcastic or cynical about trust. Because if you had it in your life, you'll say, you know what, I don't trust everybody, but it's possible to trust because I've had it in my life as a child. So now the question is, can which stranger you meet, can you trust them? How do you choose a spouse? How do you choose a trusting relationship? But you have at least a point of reference that you begin with, and you have a, f- a framework and a background of trusting relationships. Someone that has not had that, you can rest assured they're going to be either um, completely uh, completely put up their defenses and defense mechanisms and not allow anyone in because they don't trust anyone, will always be testing people or putting up other types of excuses and resistance because they, they don't naturally trust because they didn't have it in their lives. Or, interestingly, ironically, they can end up becoming very naive and start trusting everyone because they're desperate. It's like someone who hasn't drank water, is thirsty, can do two things. You either start you question everyone who gives you a drink because you don't trust anyone, or you start drinking everything because you're desperate. You're desperate for love. You're desperate to trust someone. 
So it's interesting, it can go both extremes, and, and, and even more fascinating, I wouldn't say fascinating because it's quite painful, is that people can actually fluctuate between the two. You see this, for example, in the area of sexuality. People who have had unhealthy intimacy in their childhood or some way unhealthy relationships, you'll see can either become completely um, celibate or completely promiscuous, and they can even fluctuate one to the other. Because that's what happens when you don't have the compass that keeps a balance, you can go to extremes. Now, of course, the balanced approach is that there is a possibility to have trust in your life. And now the question is who you can apply that to. That's not suggesting every person on earth you can trust. There are predators, there are abusers, there are con artists, there are manipulators, who can, or some of them very sophisticated, that you have to be careful. Even if you had a healthy, trusting relationship in your life, which is your parents or, the, as I said, the family unit or the extended social community, education and so on, that just still doesn't mean you can trust everyone. So this is part of growing up where you come to realize that you have some type of checks and balances to determine who is someone you can trust, who is someone you can't trust. But if you have that healthy background, at least you have something to work with because you have a point of reference. And when you don't have a point of reference, it's literally like trying to drive without a GPS, without a compass, because you're not sure where to go because who do you look to? How do you determine what trust is exactly? So that's just an introduction that just play, play, uh, lays out the framework of what I want to discuss, obviously what I'm already discussing, but most importantly to understand the importance of this issue because very often the issues in our lives are symptoms of the lack of trust that we have, which rephrased can also be stated the following. They're not just symptoms, they're symptoms of our insecurities. Insecurity and lack of trust is more or less synonymous, not exactly word for word, it's not exactly the same, but essentially, when you don't have trust, you're insecure because you don't have who to rely on. When you trust somebody, you know you're secure in their hands. You ask people, for example, some of the beautiful memories that children have is they have a father and a mother they knew they could always rely on. A father would, let's say, is a, you were sad one day, and your father took you in his arms, or your mother embraced you, or you walk up the street and you feel the warmth of their hand. There's something that becomes ingrained in a child as a certain thing. You know you're in able hands. You feel protected. And when you feel protected, it creates the cocoon or the womb. I would even say the nest that gives and nurtures a person's confidence. You know, think of a bird that never has a nest, does not have parents uh, that protect, protect it. So you, you grow up in a hostile world and with no one to look to, no one to trust the same thing is, if you look at children in a healthy home and you study it, and I've studied it many times, you'll see a certain um, uh, lack of even drama in, in health. Because health, and remember, health does not sound like anything, it doesn't taste like anything, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like anything. If someone else, what does it feel like to be healthy? If you give any answer of the sensation of health, you probably need help, God forbid. Because health is not supposed to feel like anything. It's supposed to be a smooth, seamless flow your blood is flowing through your veins, your nerves are intact, and you just really feel just fine. Someone say, what does feeling fine mean? Meaning that you don't feel anything. That's what it means. So health is interestingly, does not really, it's sensationless. As soon as you say, one second, I feel my heartbeat, or I feel a thud, or I feel a dull pain, or a sharp pain, or some other thing, then you know there may be an issue that needs to be addressed. The same thing is psychologically. If someone says, what does a nurturing home feel like? It doesn't feel like anything. It just feels safe. Your home, and it just feels like you belong. It's like you're like a fish in water. 
you ask the fish, what does it like, look like, feel like to be in water? It just, it just is where I am. It's, my, it's not a state, uh, it's not an experience. It's a state of being. You know, we say, okay, I, I, I traveled to this and this place. You say, how was it? You start describing it. That means you are really not, that's not your natural place. You're describing what, what it feels like to experience it. Basically the verb. But a true healthy experience is, is a noun. It's a state of being. So I'm say, what does it feel like to be alive? That you're not going to start describing it in exotic terms or say it was awesome. You'll just say it just feels right. It just feels like I belong. I actually don't feel anything that's out of whack or out of sync. As soon as you feel, there's, some, there's an issue. So if you go into a healthy home, there's no drama. I mean, you'll see love and you may see a lot of beautiful things, but the dynamics that's going on are very smooth. There's no drama. You don't hear yelling. You don't hear screaming. You don't hear anything that is extreme because everything is... That doesn't mean there's no laughter. It doesn't mean there's no experiences. But the basic, the bedrock is very solid. And that's what every child obviously deserves coming into this difficult world and hostile world to have a home that in this home, no matter what's going on outside this door, it's a peaceful environment. One of the greatest, maybe the greatest blessing in Judaism is shalom called peace, and specifically shalom bias, peace at home. It's used so many times, sometimes we don't appreciate it. To the extent, when Maimonides describes shalom bias, he says, there's nothing, the entire Torah was given only to bring peace to this world. Because if you don't have peace, nothing, you have nothing else. If you don't have peace of mind, you can be blessed with wealth, you can be blessed with health, you can be blessed with all the gifts, but you don't have internal peace, so all of it is is, is a source, is, it's, all of it is stressful, and all of it is not necessarily a, a panacea to solve your issues. On the other hand, if a person has that inner peace and calm, then whatever comes their way, whether it's blessings or sometimes challenges, they have the inner peace that, they, that travels with them. That's why you'll find many people have all the commodities in the world, they have their wealthy, they have material, uh, material prosperity and success, and yet they're not calm, they're not peace. And then you can have people at peace who don't have all these uh, material stuff. Now, obviously, from a Torah point of view, have, being blessed with wealth and being blessed with prosperity, even materially, is a great blessing. But it's, not, does, but it's a means. And it not, does not assure the single most important thing, which is shalom. Now let's analyze this word shalom for a moment. Shalom in Hebrew is translated as peace. But what exactly is peace? So many people think peace is absence of war is peace. But no. Peace is absence of war just as much as love is absence of hate. Right? That would be a little ridiculous. Love is more than just absence of hate. Maybe when a person's threshold is so low and they don't have, have love in their life, they'll say, at least if I have no hate, I already feel love. But that's not love. Love is a state of its own. That's not just the absence of the opposite. And the same thing with peace. Peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is a state of tranquility and harmony and seamlessness and calm serenity, and I can go on and on with all kinds of words. You feel like you belong. You feel at home. And everyone who's ever experienced it does not need much explanation. You just have to go back to moments in your life where you felt that way. I'll say something even more. Even people have grown up in a battlefield of a home where life is not calm, but everyone, in most cases, I can't say every, but in most cases you'll find that everyone has some good memories which is why, of course, abuse is so devastating. Because people, sometimes parents who are abusive or parents who are not, 
who are who are not providing the trust and security a child needs, that doesn't mean it's twenty four seven. There are many times, and people will say this all the time. The problem was my father at times was very loving, and he took us to and we had fun and we really enjoyed it. But then he turned into a monster. You hear this so often. And that's what's so confusing to a child because the source of your security has now turned into your nightmare, to your source of your insecurity. So if it was a stranger, it's one thing. Or if it was always bad, it's one thing. It's much more complicated when part of it is good and times that you have good memories while it's also mixed with negative memories because you don't know how to separate, especially a child. It's like a snowball, very complex and very difficult to address. So the point that I'm making here is that the day of trust is basically the, it's so, it is so invisible, really, because a trusting environment does not have any big signs. It doesn't say, trust me. You know, if you have anyone that has to tell you, trust me, or they put up on the sign, you can trust me, I'm your parents. That's not how trust is, is, is uh, garnered. We garner trust through, we earn trust. You earn trust, and you earn trust by, by life experiences. You can have someone say, trust me, trust me, trust me, but then you see in their behavior, they don't behave in a way that you feel you can trust them. And then there are other people who will never tell you anything, but you know that when you're with them, you know you can trust them. You see that they're sincere, they're consistent, there's a, uh, an element of, of, um, of comfort, and so on. And this is, we all feel this. You know, sometimes walk into a party, into a wedding, into a bar mitzvah, into whatever it is, and you just feel tension in the air. Usually it's due to the fact that the hosts are tense. You don't even have to analyze it. There's just tension. And then there are times you come into a place and you just feel there's a calm. Because remember, the tension at the top spills over. Then if the, the, the hosts are tense, then the caterer is tense. And the caterer is tense, the waiters are tense. And everybody's tense. And, you, and it just becomes like a thick, very uh, stressful type of environment. It's a vibe. You can't always uh, notice it, but it's very often very noticeable. And the opposite is also true. You come into a place, you just feel, you know, this is a comfortable place. I feel people are comfortable. There's an ease in communication. There isn't, everything isn't loaded with, and jaded with other stuff. So I can go on, but I think I just want to put it into context and words so we can all relate to this idea. That, so to sum up, a healthy, trusting environment is not going to feel like anything. You know when you start feeling it? When there is no trust. That's when things get loud and, and dramatic and so on. So let's talk about, back to the consequences. So when a person does grow up in that type of environment, like a fish in water, so then it becomes part of your birthright. It's part of your integral part of your being is that there's, there are people in your, in your life that have loved you and people that you've learned to trust. So now comes the question, as we grow older, what happens next? Now, since we don't live in a perfect world, so even if one grew up in a trusting environment, in a home that's trusting, that still doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth. That's why for often you'll find that people may have a very loving home, but at school they may be bullied, or there may be other negative things that happen, and that can also disrupt a person's calm. Because as we grow out of our homes, in other words, once we become involved not just with our homes, but also our schools and classmates and teachers, that becomes our extended uh, growth, growing and maturing experience so their trust can be breached and can be hurt as well. So what happens then? But at least if you have a home that's an environment that's trusting, so you have some resources to lean back on. And then what the maturity process is, is how do you rely on those resources and deal with a world that sometimes can be untrusting? And this is a challenge that all of us go through. As we grow older, you'll find that very often children will ask that question. They'll say, you know, 
I thought when I grew up at home, I'm not saying they have these words, but I'll just put words in the, in the child's mouth. When I was home, I felt very comfortable, secure, protected. And then suddenly at school, you know, either a, either a classmate or someone else hurt me. Or I thought I could trust them and they ended up betraying me. So for a child that the first time that they, get, they experience such a disappointment or such a breach, it's, uh, it can be very painful. So what's the process? Good, healthy parents and healthy educators will tell the child, listen, we live in a world where people can be selfish and people can be very um, self-absorbed, self-interest. That doesn't mean there aren't people you can trust, but you have to be wary. You have to have your guard up. But not all the way, because you don't want to be living in a paranoid life. And it's a matter of selecting. So a child growing up will, will have this battle, and at some point, we'll find the balance and say, you know what? There are people in this world I can trust. There are people in this world I'm not sure I can. And there are people that, after a while, they earn your trust because you see, as I said before, their consistency or other, way, other things that exhibit that element of trust. So that would be a, that's a scenario of a, the healthiest type of scenario. Because as I said, the world is not perfect. There are always going to be people that we are not able to trust. Sometimes you have good instincts and sometimes not. Now again, the healthier the home, the better your instincts will be because you know what trust is. So then when you see somebody who starts like putting it on or trying to maneuver or manipulate, you could sense, you know, this is not, what, 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 this is not something I can trust because I know what trust is. But sometimes we'll make our mistakes. Who doesn't make a mistake? As they say, when a man with experience meets a, meets a man with money, the man with the, money ends, the man with experience ends up with the money. And the man with the money ends up with the experience. So we're all going to go through a scenario in life where in lack of experience, we may be gullible, we may be naive, and we may be hurt. But again, if you have the foundations, it's something you grow from and you learn from. Unfortunately, if you don't have the foundations, so then when you're hurt again and again and again, it just reinforces your own inner insecurities. And you say, you know what, I never had anyone I trust, I still don't have anyone. And you start developing, as I said, either the very... A cynical attitude, or the very naive attitude. Most of the cases, it's cynical, but it will sometimes uh, it will sometimes go to the other extreme because one is desperate, as I mentioned before. So these are some of the scenarios, and I have to cover them all because I'm, I'm not just speaking one on one to one person here. We all have different combinations or different variations of our own experiences. So now I want to break this into two parts, and I'm going to address them very separately. There is the actual issue of trust in general, trusting people, and how you learn to trust, and how you learn to um, um, develop relationships that are trusting and secure. And then there is the issue which I addressed, but I'll now separate it. People that we naturally should have trusted and end up not trusting because they hurt us. And it's very different. It's like if you go to work and you meet new people, so in a healthy person was not going to suddenly say, I'm going to trust everybody with everything in my life. You know, look at now, Facebook is going through its own learning, uh, growing pains, privacy. And, you know, maybe there is, people start realizing that they don't want their private lives everywhere. Because absolutely, like one of the questions, one of the senators asked Mark Zuckerberg was, uh, you know, he opened up and said to him, do you mind sharing with me what hotel you stayed last night? You know, you saw that one? And then he said to him, no, I don't want to tell you. And what about who you texted this week? No, I don't want to tell you. And the senator says, that's why we're here. Because that's what's happening on Facebook. And obviously it has to be qualified. 
Because on Facebook, people are willing and wanting to place, they, they write where their hotel is. And the question is, if anyone's using that information without the person knowing. But remember, you don't have to be on Facebook. But it's a combination. It's so everyone's implicit in some way. But obviously, there's going to have to be find a balance. And people have to realize, yes, you want to be out there in the social media world. There may be things that, about you that you're going to have footprints that uh, could be regulated. But at the end of the day, you really want a protection, just simply don't go to these places. That's like someone going to a party and, and telling everybody at the party what, what, what um, their deepest, intimate, most secrets, and then expecting that no one's going to share it. So I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I, I definitely believe that this, this needs, needs to find a balance, but it's interesting the, the psychological elements of it. Regarding our discussion here, I would apply that, that the fact of the matter is that even if you're a secure person, and even if you grew up in a secure and healthy and, and trusting home, that doesn't mean that every person you meet, you trust. On the contrary, because you have that healthy backdrop or background or foundation, so you know that everything with a grain of salt. So you meet somebody who seems to be nice. So what a healthy person, their attitude will be, okay, I'm not going to distrust this person, but I'm not going to also trust them with everything. It's more like proceed with caution type of idea. Now let's see. So a healthy, balanced person is not going to be paranoid and say, I can't trust anyone, and always look over their shoulder and second-guess themselves. They'll say, proceed with caution. Let me see what happens. And a friendship may develop. And in a way, I don't know if the word testing is the right word, but you are experimenting. And as you get to know somebody, just think of anyone that's become a close friend to you. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, sometimes right away you see this as a person you feel comfortable with. But still, an intelligent person is going to not just suddenly open all, everything up, as I said, a healthy, balanced one. But you'll do is you'll check it out and you'll see. You have a conversation, you go out to lunch, dinner, you know, and you see a person you can talk to and slowly can become a confidant and can become someone you do trust. It can become a mentor, can become a friend. And that's a very healthy approach. So it's proceed with caution. And that's because you have the healthy balance from your childhood or from your younger informative years. So you're able to maneuver. Now, will you make a mistake from time to time? Yes, absolutely. Who hasn't made a mistake? Someone you felt you can trust. They seem very trustworthy. And then for some reason, either maybe not always due to their fault, or sometimes yes, due to them, or it may be due to circumstances. They were pushed to the corner, they were pressured, and so on, and they had to choose between you and another friend. So I'm not justifying, but then you come to realize, you know what? I have to be careful. I put my trust entirely in somebody, you know, Al-Tiftuchu um, Benedivim, it says we shouldn't trust completely people who uh, offer things because you never know. That's why we have the concept of God we trust, as it says in the American currency. It doesn't say man we trust because man at the end of the day is fallible and therefore can always uh, disappoint us. But that's also part of the learning experience that maybe you don't have to trust absolutely somebody. Parents should be able to be trusted, absolutely. But then, you know, grow older, and even in a healthy, nurturing home, you find that your parents aren't perfect either. But they provided, they did their best. They provided protection and comfort and, tr and therefore trust. But you come to realize, you know, sometimes my parents are not the best person to go talk to. But it's not extremes. That's the point. In, for a healthy person, it's always balance. It's always moderation. It's like saying, you know what, my, maybe my father, he may think he's the smartest guy in this area. Maybe he's not. That doesn't mean you can't trust him. It means that in this area, you need to speak to someone else. Just like, you know, if you need a lawyer or an accountant or, uh, or a doctor, you don't say, one second, my parents can't provide that. That's not their expertise. 
So trust doesn't mean that one person can solve all your problems. It means that you have a balanced approach. And yes, we will make our mistakes, but we learn from our mistakes and become wiser. As I said, a man with experience ends up, uh, you, uh, with mistakes you make teach you the experience, and that experience teaches you to be wiser in how you choose friends and so on and so forth. That is the, basically the healthy approach. That's how we navigate. When a person does not have the backdrop, then they don't have that resource which comes naturally to them, the security, the confidence. Those people will make the bigger mistakes in whom they trust. They'll either over-trust or under-trust, as I said before. Either the extreme of almost not letting any, anyone close, even though they're, they're smart, they know how to play the game, and they, you know, they're people who, who seem to be close and intimate, but really they're just putting, they have walls and armor, very heavy, uh, thick armor around them. Or they are going to be very gullible and, and be hurt again and again. Um, or, as I said, it fluctuates. So we're going to discuss, of course, what can a person like that do to build trust if they didn't have that trust. But I wanted to discuss the healthy version because then you can have something to work with and we have to figure out now how to get ourselves back on a healthy course if we didn't have a healthy diet of secure and uh, nurturing and trusting relationships from our, in our formative years. Then this, this is when I said the area of the area of, of general trust. But then there's the worst situation, much worse, is when someone you did trust, then hurts you. Someone you trust. This is very often the case in relationships. People say, feel they love each other and they're in a marriage, and then there's a betrayal. So if it's a stranger, it still hurts. But there, at least, that person didn't yet prove themselves as being someone you can rely on. But let's say someone you did rely on. And it was actually authentic at the time. And then you get hurt, that's a far deeper wound. Because that wound comes because you were vulnerable and you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and you were trusting. Now, if the person is a con artist and just fooled you, that's also painful. But it's even worse when they weren't. And you start wondering what happened. Like, why did this relationship deteriorate? And the same, this, this is similar to, the, to what I mentioned earlier people who grew up in homes, grow up in homes where the people supposed to love them don't love them. That's far, far worse than situations where it's strangers and people that you don't, haven't yet earned, that, that you don't expect as much. So I want to address, as I said, this from both angles. And they're interdependent, obviously. They're interdependent. So going back to the healthy backdrop, it's always important to know what is the healthy version of trust. So I want to sum up again what I said. Healthy version of trust is that there are people in this world maybe not many, that you can absolutely trust. And they've proven themselves, whether it's parents or others, because they've been there again and again. You know that you can always turn to them. It doesn't mean they're perfect. That's a key thing. And I'll talk about that in a moment some more. But it means that someone that wants, is they're sincere in their caring about you. And they'll try. Sometimes they won't be able to provide everything you need. And that's critical because many people say, if you don't give me everything I need, it means I can't trust you. That is an unhealthy expectation. And this is a key line. I remember reading, I remember reading somewhere, I don't remember where. Trust is not built on perfection, it's built on accountability. There's no such thing as perfection. And unfortunately, what you'll find, many people who say, my spouse or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my partner or my friend or whoever it is, is not living up to my expectations, and you start exploring it further, you find out that you're expecting perfection from them. That's usually a person who's not really learned how to trust healthy, as I said, goes to one extreme or the other. 
If you're not going to be perfect, then you've, then you've betrayed me. But human beings are human beings. Even very loving and trusting human beings can make mistakes. However, the, the key, so what then how do you distinguish between trust and not trust? Accountability. A person who makes a mistake and then lies and says, no, it's not me and so on, then you can't trust because it's not like they, besides not being there for you, they're just making believe that everything is fine. Accountability means, yes, I made a mistake, but you know, I still love you, I still care about you. And then you can trust because you know if there's a mistake made, the person will be accountable. That is extremely valuable, even better than perfection. Even though some people delusionally think, I just want perfection, it's a very childish approach. It's not, there's no such thing as perfection. So the key thing to remember is that trust is built on accountability, it's built on a consistency, and it's built on a uh, proven in time that in different circumstances, this is a person you can rely on. As I said, the first, the first model of that would be in our childhood, in our homes. If you have that, that's a big head start. But if, but if you don't, that's what you're looking to rebuild. Because that's what I'm going to talk about now. Which is, okay, let's say a person does not have that. Or they had it and then it was breached or hurt. And this could happen due to many different reasons. For example, parents divorce. The parents may love the child. They may have given the child a very healthy, trusting home. But then they split up. And for children, that's a very insecure... That feeds their insecurities. Because suddenly the unit, which is the father and mother, is no longer there. And even if it's, a, even if it's an amicable divorce and there's a healthy visitation and so on, but now a child is sleeping under two roofs and also has to now deal with the, the significant other of each of their parents if they do continue on having relationships. And these things rattle a child's security, which is a whole discussion of its own. I don't really want to go there because it's not really the topic, but I do want to make a point to mention, and this is very, very important. Children need to feel that they have consistency. They sleep in the same bed every night. And they know who's putting them to sleep. And they know in the morning they go to school. You'll find children who are uprooted, even with healthy families, like middle of their youth, their childhood, to go to live in other countries, and so on, even if it's done with all the most, in the smoothest possible way, there's always going to be issues. Because children need that security. And it depends on the age, and I'm not suggesting it's not doable, but don't think, don't ever take it lightly. Many people think children are very adjustable. They'll just move from here to there. We'll find new friends. Yes, that's possible. And children are resilient. I'm not denying that. But you'll often find that later on in life, they'll talk about that shift. And it's nothing to do with the intention of the parents or the place they go to. It's just the mere fact. Children need routine. They, they thrive on routine. You know why? Because routine creates security. And security is trusting. Knowing here's my nest and here's where I go to every night. And if you tell me, son, you take this nest and we're moving somewhere else, can they adjust? Yes, they can adjust. But there's been a shift, and it can have an effect. Now, again, it's case by case. It's not a statement saying never move and don't. I mean, this is the people move. Obviously, they move from city to city, or they move even in one city from one place to another. This is not uncommon. But it's usually, especially if it's a new culture or new country, new language, these things, don't take them lightly. They should be analyzed. They should be... I find sometimes parents don't give enough consideration to that fact. They only think in terms of what's good for us as adults, and the children will already come along. Now, it's important to know, and there's different ages have different effects on children. You know, a very young age, it probably is not as impactful, 
But as soon as you get into adolescence and young teens, an older age also is not that significant. But those years where the child is starting to adjust to classmates, like I see many times people move to another city and the children do not like the school they're in. And it's not because it's a bad school. They just want their friends because they were secure with those friends. You see this many times because friends create again. I know I can rely on my friends. I know their names and all those different things. I have to learn a new name. I have to learn a new teacher, etc., etc. But let's move away from that because that's not really my focus. It's just a, a, a detail, more than, maybe more than a detail, a key element in the trust discussion. So now, let's address. So what happens if a person does not have this uh, secure, trusting environment? Or... It was compromised. Or, as I said, even worse, it was there, then for some reason, either divorce or other shifts, a loss, a death. That happens. A parent, God forbid, dies prematurely. It's definitely a major factor in a child's life. And we see some children suffer greatly. Everyone's, everyone is hurt, but some suffer greatly and it affects them and impedes their life. No question. And there are others that have a certain resilience or strength that they're able to dig deeper. So what's the secret to it? And how do you build trust when either you didn't have it in the first place or it was breached? That's what I want to address now. So going back deeper, to dig a little deeper into the issue of trust, let's talk about what exactly, why is it so important that a child need to trust? Why can't we just say, you know what, all of us are blessed with resources and faculties. We have minds and hearts. And yes, we need to mature and grow. But hey, so it's a dog-eats-dog world. And then you figure out how to become, how to survive, and not just survive, how to thrive in this world. The answer is, um, psychologists have different theories for it, but I'll give you the theory on the psychology of, of a cult, of uh, mysticism. That the, theory, that the answer lies in a, in a verse in the Bible that speaks about unity, to how everything begins as one, and then is split up into many. You'll see everything in life begins as one unit and the unit then splits. Let's just take even the conception of a child. One cell, 30 hours later, the cell splits into two and that becomes a splitting of cells that will slowly form into a, into a fetus that will become a child. This is true for seeds in the ground that grow into plants and trees or flowers. This is true in the animal kingdom. This is true everywhere you turn. You'll always see is the, trial, the journey from unity toward, toward division, toward separation. So what is our most natural state? If you go back to the root of it all, the genesis of everything, it all begins in a nucleus of a unified nucleus from a scientific point of view and also from a spiritual point of view. It all begins with one unified force. That force then split into many parts. So in a sense, you could say that all of existence is constantly gravitating back to its original unity, which is, as the Bible puts it, why is there love between man and woman? Why are they attracted to each other? So the Bible says because they were created as one, an androgynous creature, male, female, in the divine image. And then they were split into two, an alcane, and that's why they will seek out each other to reconnect to that unified, to their, to their oneness that they once had. So it isn't just some type of sexual attraction or an attraction in order to breed and survival of the, spe- of, the, uh, of the species, perpetuation of the species, but there's something about unity. In the words of the mystics and the words of Jewish mystics is 
It's the divine unity, the echad that we say in Shema, that lies at the heart of everything. A unified state. Which then split, and we live in a fragmented world, but the intention of this fragmented world is to bring it all together into back into that unity. Which is all hinted to actually in the word echad. Echad in Hebrew, and we say the Shema, the end of echad is three letters. Aleph, Ches, Talat. So Aleph is oneness. Ches is seven heavens and earth. And Dalad are the four directions. North, south, east, west. And the point is that you want to take the seven heavens and earth, which means the space and time. And the four directions, space and time. And all, and which is split into many parts, many moments, many minutes, hours, seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, weeks, months, years, etc., decades, centuries, millennia. And you want to connect it all back to its core unit, which is essentially when you speak about Rosh Hashanah, that's what Rosh Hashanah is. Everything goes back, as the Arizal says. Everything reverts back to its original state and it's, um, and it's uh, anticipating its renewal. And that is really the story of all of life. All of life breaks into many parts. But look at your body. It has many parts. But a healthy person, as I mentioned before, is one seamless unit. The seamless unit is divided into many parts, but we don't think of ourselves as some of the parts. This is the essence of why trust is so vital. Because trust is basically saying, I feel I belong here. The opposite of trust is distrust. Another form of distrust is divisiveness. When I feel that you and I are competing for resources, and I I want and you want, then I see you as my competitor. A competitor can turn into very easily into an, an adversary an adversary into an enemy. It doesn't mean it has to be that way, but potentially it can be that way because everyone's competing for the same resources. However, when you feel trust, trust means you feel that you're with people who are not here to compete with you and they're not here to take something from you and they're not here to use you or to abuse you. So trust is really basically the outgrowth of the most natural state of who we are. A fish is completely comfortable in water. That's its place. So when a child grows up in a home that's a peaceful home, a home that's saturated with love and, and, and security and all the other things I mentioned, they are completely feel that they belong because what's happening is it's a state of unity. Instead of coming into a home where the father and mother have different agendas and they argue and they battle and there's fragmented uh, agendas and different uh, fragmented um, priorities, then what happens is it's very unsettling because you're living in a place which is a war zone, basically. Battlefield. So trust is really, if you think about it, is really this, a, 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 a close cousin to a state of unity. And a state of disunity is always going to create a, a lack of trust. So security comes from that type of agdus, from that type of unity. So if you think of it that way, then, okay, if you get it at home, naturally, that's, of course, the best head start you can have in life. Because in your formative years, you learn you deserve it, you learn you deserve to be loved, you deserve to have security, and you, therefore you learn to trust. You trust your parents, you trust your, your home, um, your home uh, what's the word I want to use? The home environment. And you learn to trust yourself. Because remember, fragmentation out, uh, out without will always cause fragmentation within. If you're not trusting others, 
it's, you're ultimately not going to trust yourself and vice versa. Even though some people will say, one second, I don't trust anyone, I trust myself. If you trust yourself well, it's much easier to find the ability to trust others. Okay, that's in a situation where things, as I said, if you have that head start, great. If you don't, the key thing is how do you find that unity again? That's the key. If you find the unity, you'll find the trust. Because again, the home that is unified, a home there you find that the people in the home, whether it's the parents or the older siblings or others that come into this home are all working in harmony with each other and not competing agendas and, not, uh, and definitely, not co- uh, not, definitely not contradictory agendas, that creates an environment where you can trust. You feel this is a place you can trust. You go into a war zone, who you trust? This one says this, this one says that. People are pitted against each other. Often parents will pit children against each other, take sides, and all that comes with that. So what we're looking for is not just tr- is not trust, we're looking for unity. Find unity and you'll find trust. So the question then is how do you find unity? And again, I'm talking now a situation where a person did not have the... the the upbringing or the background. The answer is you find unity in your own soul and your connection to the divine. That's why this prayer of Hashma and Echad is such a vital prayer because basically, if you grew up in a home that was nurturing, so in a sense, that provided you with the nourishment necessary. But if you haven't, you have to create that nourishment yourself. And you create that nourishment by feeding your soul and by feeding your purpose in life, by finding unity in your life. The last thing you want is to continue and perpetuate like a vicious cycle the fragmentation of your childhood. So what you have to really do is, is, is like stop the bleeding by saying, you know what, I maybe didn't have, did not have that unified fe- feelings when I was younger, but I'm going to create it now. So everyone needs that in life, whether you grew up in a healthy home or not a healthy home, but someone that grew up in an unhealthy home, an un- non-unified, a divisive environment needs it even more. And you do that by really recalibrating your life and saying, okay, why am I here? You begin with a moda'ani in the morning, as I often suggest. My soul has returned to me this morning. What am I going to do with my soul's mission today? And the more you introduce focus and clarity of purpose, and don't allow yourself to get swept up in the divisive materialistic forces of life, which means the competition in the marketplace, and that drive to, uh, to, uh, to succeed, and you go back to find unity in your life, that's where you'll find trust. Trust will not come, as many people think that, you know, they'll do. I'll make a lot of money, people will like me. And they'll try to buy trust or try buy love. It does not work. You need to create that harmony that you did not have or had in some, some diminished or compromised way. And, and this really is essentially a person's entire life commitments. When we say that a person does different good deeds, whether it's being charitable, or it's being virtuous, or being kind, or uh, other, other different ways a person behaves in a healthy way, you're essentially creating a unified experience in your life, and that unity builds an environment that is trusting. And you can absolutely do it. The challenge is to realize that you have to start building it yourself, because it wasn't given to you. So you have to find ways to build it. And there are many ways to do it. It begins with finding focus, which is spiritual focus in your life. Spiritual focus means commitments that are not just about you, about helping others, about serving, about uh, dedicating your life to good things, to being giving to others. 
That giving creates unity. And unity creates trust. Let's put it in more, more, more blunt terms. A parasite, a taker, will never feel trust because you're always taking and you always feel if I don't take, I won't have. A giver is very secure because I feel I can give. I feel I have what to give. I see people validate what I give and they thank me. That type of element. Lately, for example, there's a lot of talk, the whole rage about gratitude. How gratitude actually helps you grow. Gratitude is good for your psyche. Proven tests that when a person says thank you and shows gratitude, it just makes them happier people. Why? Because gratitude is unity. You're thanking you instead of being self-absorbed. Me, me, me. And you think, you know, if I'm me, 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 you're grasping for, the, for, for air. You think that's how you're going to survive. What happens when people are drowning? What do they do? They, dr- they pull everyone else down with them because they're so desperate. The me, me survival instinct is so strong, they just pull everyone else down. When you see someone that's giving, someone that is expansive and is able to give, giving builds security because you feel confident. You know, I have something to give. Takers always feel less confident. I know it sounds sometimes counterintuitive. You'll say, one second, this person is taking, taking, taking. Look how much they have. No, they have, if they have, it's like, uh, who said it? He said that they, some people know the price of everything but the value of nothing. Yes, they have a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of people who have stuff but they don't have any value. And there are people who give. So technically, when you give, you may have less physically, but you have more psychologically because you have the power to give. You have that dignity. And dignity, by the way, goes hand in hand with trust as well. Because an environment that is trusting is also an environment that will give you dignity. An environment that's not trusting, there's no security, means they're basically stealing your dignity from you, robbing you of your dignity. So the way to build unity is, the way to build trust in your life is to build unified elements. Have once a month in your home a class. Learn with somebody once a week. Go volunteer, do something. All the things that are in a way you don't want to do because you say, listen, I didn't have nurturing in my life. I need to nurture myself. That's the exact opposite has to be the approach. You have to help nurture others. You bring unity and then you get the nurturing in return and it creates trust. So giving versus taking. Now what about a situation where a person's trust has been breached? So there we have an additional challenge. Not only didn't you have a place that was trusting, you actually had it. And then it was torn away from you. So this creates a deep wound and disappointment. And we all know disappointment can be very painful. Someone you loved, someone you were giving to, and you felt it was, recipro- you felt it was reciprocal. And instead, one day you wake up, or one day you find out the person's cheating on you, or the person's lying, or the person decides, you know what, I'm no more interested in you. you know? Or this can happen in worse ways, as I said, sometimes life experiences, divorce, death, other circumstances that can suddenly disrupt a person's nest. Like literally like a nest. You know, like taking a nest and someone suddenly tears apart your nest and where's my nest? My nest is gone. So here, it's still just just analyzing it. This doesn't mean that you can't build it. It's just that you have now additional wound, which is the loss of something. So then you feel maybe I don't deserve it or maybe I can never fix it and so on. So we need to discuss, we need to understand, we need to um, come up with methodologies and tools. How do you get beyond that? Because here too, the goal is ultimately to recreate unity. 
I was just dealing with someone who came from a difficult family life. Parents suddenly, this person was age 16, 17, announced they divorced him. And it's a mess. The parents are trying to use their children with money and other things, back and forth. So I told this person who's now uh, 19, 20, I said, look, ultimately, even though the inclination, your inclination is how to fix your parents, because that's what she wants to do. How do I fix my parents? Maybe I can talk to each one of them. Not necessarily bring them together, but trust me. I said, that's not your objective. They're adults, and maybe flawed adults, and made their mistakes. They're still your parents, and you'll try to uh, adjust to that. But what you need to do is build your life. You're 19, you'll soon be 20. Get married. Find someone you can love. And she says to me, well, I can't find anyone to love because I'm so consumed with this. I said, exactly. You're consumed with the fragmentation that they've brought to you. And you don't have control over it because they, you can't do anything for them. So you need to do is take care, build your own life. So the challenge is how do you bring this person away from their shattered uh, so-called life, uh, life um, structure, life um, platform or whatever word, and bring them to a healthier. So this is, a, this is work. The problem here is that there's still the dream that a child has. They want their childhood back. They're idyllic and healthy home back. Whether it was a healthy home or not, I'm not sure. Probably not so healthy, but they, that's what they want. And, uh, and, and you gravitate to trying to fix it. And you gravitate to try to go back into the war zone. And that's all you know. And it's hard to build. But the key challenge here is to remember that your soul was not, is not damaged by other people's lives. Even if it's parents. And even if someone did betray. And if, even if it was, a, it was a real betrayal, you're not defined by other people's choices. You're not defined by what has been done to you. You're defined by why you were sent to this world, and that is by God and your soul's purpose in this life. I'm not saying, I know it's easier said than done, but that's the mantra that you have to keep repeating. That's why every morning we say again and again, the soul you've given me, is pure. Why do we have to repeat that again and again? Because life hurts us, and life breaks us, and life experiences can cause you to think you're not pure. And you're part of that impurity. But you're not. Your soul is always pure. So even if you grew up in a home that was completely unloving, even if it was loving and then that love was somewhat broken for whatever reason, it was lost, your soul is still pure. And that's the most important prayer you should be focusing on every day. That you have to know the depths of your heart and soul, your soul, your being, your psyche is pure. Now you have to figure out, that's knowing that. Second is, how do I access that purity? You access it by doing things that are pure, by acting on it. So even though you're mood, you may not be in the mood, you may not feel that way, you have to act that way. So knowing that it is pure, and, the fact that, and knowing that the fact is that it really is, on its fund, in the core level, pure. And then you act that way, slowly what happens is you begin to access that unity, which in turn creates the trust that was either lost or was never there in the first place on a conscious level. And you learn to trust and you build trusting environments. So of course people ask, if I grew up in an untrusting environment, how can I build a trusting environment? The answer is because you're not a product. You were just put into a war zone, sadly. You're a product of God's. You're not a product of your parents. You're not a product of your home. If they provided the love and the nurturing, great, then they just reinforced what God gave you. But if not, you still have Hashem Achad, the Achad, the unity, and you can begin right now. And sometimes do exactly opposite of what was done to you. Build environments where your parents may have been selfish, 
and, and self-absorbed, and they drove and they built their home around that. You build a life that's that's giving, instead of taking, because that is what's going to build the security and the trust necessary. Now, of course, this requires sometimes therapy, and it requires work, and it requires sometimes friends, and environments that help nurture us. But this is the key formula to it all. So I'm not suggesting my words are just going to solve everybody's problem overnight. I wish that were to be true. Um, then we'd have then you know basically seven billion people following this. We'd have a very healthy world. But I, I'm suggesting is that this formula is the formula for it. This is the formula. Now we have to figure out how to implement this formula. And this is already case by case. Everybody has to find their, I would say, support system, people that are trusting. And, but most importantly, you don't want to be continue to feed the toxins just because toxins were fed to you. That's one of the great challenges. Because you could say, listen, I become toxified by my toxic home and environment. And therefore, I feel I don't have the tools to bring purity. But that's not true. Absolutely not true. You could be breathing 30, 20 years of your life, 30 years of your life, toxic air. That doesn't mean you can't find fresh air. Now, you may be addicted or already dependent on this toxic air. You know, some people who live in toxic environments, when you bring them to healthy air, they start coughing because they're not used to it. Okay, fine. So we need to transition. But never ever think that you are a result, a product, or a victim, or a or a victim of or a result of circumstances. The circumstances are real; they happened. But there's many things we can do to counter that, and some of them I've discussed here. So, in the end of the story is this: that there is the ability to find trust, even though one never had trust. Obviously, it comes down to looking deeper inside yourself. And yes, in God we trust is a tremendous asset here. Because God is the only one that is not tainted by toxic environments and by human flaws. And as I said before, accountability, accountability. One of the worst things that people do is they continue to cover up, either due to shame or other factors. They don't want to acknowledge their pain or their, 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 their uh, seemingly in, uh, vulnerabilities and even flaws that we may think we have. So acknowledging accountability is one of the first steps to learning to trust because accountability is the key here. To try to put on a fake show, to try to put on a front that everything is perfect, everything is great, yeah, it may look nice for the pictures, but it really doesn't help anyone. If anything, it continues to feed the, the, the facade. It continues to feed the, more than facade, what do I want to say, the mirage, the illusion, the delusion that everything is fine which is part of that itself is toxic. So understanding that there are things that are not, not, didn't work out so well is the first thing is acknowledging it and now start bringing fresh air, the echad, the unify. Bring unity into your life. I'm talking about spiritual unity and deeper focus in your life and automatically trust will follow, 100%. I see this all the time. People, for example, ask the question always, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Am I ready to get married? I don't have the tools. And when am I going to learn the tools? So, of course, the question is, so what are you going to wait for? What are you waiting for? When, when exactly are you suddenly going to get these tools? With time, with time. But it doesn't just come with time. You have to do something. And sometimes the way to do it is just simply to take the plunge. Now, I'm not saying if a person is completely dysfunctional, they need, may need help, someone to hold their hand. But dysfunctionality is going to perpetuate itself if you don't stop it. And you stop it by realizing that, one second, I am not a dysfunctional person. I grew up in a dysfunctional environment. 
But I am an echad person. My soul is a unified entity. It's a pure entity, and it's connected. To God wants me to be here. Those are fa- those for all those three statements I just made. That your soul is one, yichida, uni- unity, oneness, and that's pure tahira, and that's connected with God because God sent you here, and that's why you're alive. Those three statements alone basically say that you're not a victim of your circumstances. You went through that. You went, may have gone through a battle, but you're not a uh, you're not a product of it. You're not defined by it, I should say. And you can reconnect to those forces if you choose so. So the best solution for a dysfunctional person is exactly that. Get married in a functional way. Have a mentor, have friends, let people guide you. You have questions, let people tell you. You know, say, what do I do when I have a conflict? You know, your parents, let's say, did not role model properly. So don't do what they did. Find out from healthy people what you do when there's an argument. You have to yell and scream. You have to become abusive. You have to become... Uh, silent or um, passive-aggressive or just aggressive, etc. No, there are other ways. And hang around people who breathe healthily, who are nurturing and who are secure in their own way. And that's how you build, you build trust, by creating trusting environments. You don't build trust and saying, I'm waiting for the person who's perfect, and then I'll learn to trust again. No, 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 no. First of all, nobody's perfect. What you have to do is bring into your life, introduce into your life this form of unity, and this, com- this environment that is giving, that is united, as I said, the pure, that engenders and that creates trust. Now, it's always important to have someone that can help guide, as I mentioned, because it's not always easy if you don't have the tools or you don't have a role model, I should say. So it's important to have, to incubate, to, uh, I guess, cross-pollinate and connect with people who have elements of that because that... You learn from people. And there's nothing wrong with having, you know, if a parent can't serve that role, so you can have an adult friend, you can have an older person, a sage, a woman or man who's been through life that sometimes can give wise counsel that's very non-judgmental and very non-threatening that helps a person guide. It's like learning how to uh, swim. So you naturally have it within you, but it may have not been, you may not been able to access it consciously. So this is just some of the guidelines, and obviously this can deserves a lot more discussion than one class, but I think I've covered enough ground here to give uh, at least hope and maybe some, some tools that we can all use to learn to trust. And remember, it's not going to come to you from someone else. You create trusting environments, and that's our trust. It's not like you say, I'm waiting for the, the, the miracle man. That's going to come the person I can absolutely trust. Trust is inside of you. You can create trust. If people can trust you, you'll be able to trust them. And it goes both ways. It's not like the first trust comes from someone else. Sometimes you have to learn to trust and learn to trust yourself. But that gets back to connecting to these core roots of unity, which is really the heart and soul of any healthy environment, a unified environment. I'm going to go back to Sholem Bias. It's unified. The way people deal with issues, the way they deal with challenges, the way they even deal with conflict is in a unified way. It's in a peaceful way. It's an intelligent way. It's in a um, calm, respectful way. Respectful. That's in a critical word as well. And if you respect your soul and you respect God that gave you the soul and you respect other people's souls, that's the key to any healthy environment. If you don't have that respect, most likely you will not uh, be able to trust, or neither will be able to. People will be able to trust you. So, in the summation, the idea that the only way to deal with um, 
trust issues is either to not trust anyone and put up our guard because everybody is uh, is suspect is obviously not a healthy approach. The other extreme to trust everyone and everyone is just I could I, you know I could just rely on is also to an extreme. Is going forward and saying that the natural environment of every human being is a trusting one, and I have to find people who are embracing it like I do, people who want to be who want to succumb to being con artists or manipulative or insecure in their own way and want to feed off of others, that's their business, not your problem. And you begin to recognize these things. You begin to recognize, as you yourself look for those more secure environments and people who have that, you begin to say, you know what, here are the people I want to hang out with, and here are people I don't need to hang out with. You don't need to hang out with people you don't trust. Now, what happens in a situation, like people ask, I have no choice. It's a parent. It's a sibling. And I don't trust them. But I have to engage with them. So it's easy, relatively, if it's someone that you can't, get, you can get around, or a coworker. You have no choice. You got to meet with it. You can't quit, whatever reason. You're dependent on a job. So that is a, a great question, and I'll address it now. That is comes down to being wise, and figuring out how sometimes to minimize, as much as possible. If a parent or a sibling, or or any environment, a work environment, is such where there's people you cannot trust, and you know it in your heart. I'm not suggesting you should start trusting them. What you have to do is minimize engagement and focus on priorities. It's like anything in life. We're all going to have things in our day or week or lives that we're not really happy with. But it's not about the things that we're not happy with that define your life. It's the balance. So you have to create much more time with people you want to be with, quality time with people you really do care about and care about you. The relationship with these type of people, you keep it to a minimum. Keep it to a minimum. And you say to yourself, you anticipate. You know, I'm going to have to go to this party. I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to gnash my teeth. You know, I'm going to just control myself. And see it as maybe an ordeal. God wants you to go through some type of test. And get out as soon as you can. What I find is the problem that people have is when they become too entangled with these people. You have to learn to not be entangled. Either not try to fix them or not try to completely ignore them. Because if they're part of your life structure... To ignore them is not going to get anywhere. So you have to find to become cool about it and almost like transcend it. Now, sometimes it can be nerve-wracking because you have to deal with, let's say, you know, sometimes siblings who don't get along have to deal with a parent that's not well. And you've got to sit with your siblings that you just don't agree with or you find to be infuriating and, uh, and so on. So, again, if you find connection to your own inner unity and you have other relationships that are healthy... It gives you a lot of strength and a lot of power to deal with the more difficult situations. If you don't have that, then all you have is this is back to the battle zone again. So really, the answer is based on what I said earlier. You have to create environments that are healthy. And then when you come to a little unhealthy environment, you're far more secure and far more confident and far more, I would say, uh, armed with tools to say, you know what, okay, half the next hour or two is going to be a, uh, what do you call, a, a lip-biting experience. But then I'm out of there, and I go back to my beautiful environment that I do like. The more beauty you have in your place, like, you know, some people love to go to the park, but then you have to go to work. Work is not always pleasant. But, that, but, but you go, the more you have healthy elements going on in your life, the more you can deal with the cha- more challenging ones. And you recognize that everyone's going to have challenges. And part of the, just don't be defined by the challenges, and don't be consumed by them. 
So in every situation, as you build the, the echad, you build that unity, and you build that purity, and you build that trust, trusting environments, the more powerful you'll be and more immunized will be from the non-trusting environment. Look, I think, about, I think about my own life. I think, you know, I've had some, in my life, been blessed with some very nurturing environments in my own home and my own life. And then sometimes you go to places and you just feel it. You feel people that you can't trust. You feel people who are just completely selfish. But since you have that strong uh, foundation, so it's part of, okay, I have to travel. It's like, it's like sometimes you have to hold your nose and just go through this and uh, move on. You know, sometimes that's how it is. You're on the train, and sometimes the train goes through certain stations that you don't want to be there, but you're going somewhere. So look at it as a journey. And you hope you can get stronger from even the negative experiences, but it doesn't shake you because you're not defined by them. So the more you create your environment, the more you'll be able to deal with less environments. And that's why in these situations I described before, getting married to a healthy person, you love each other, and sometimes you have to go to a party you really don't want to go to, but it's a family or something like us, a wedding or something. But if you have a partner, you can smile to each other and wink to each other. So you know, you know what, we're out of here when we have to be out of here. And it's far more, you can endure more. Because you have other relationships. But if you don't have, obviously it's going to become more and more difficult. So key thing is to not define yourself and identify, over-identify with these negative influences in life, even if it's parents and home. And secondly, building, building environments that are healthy. And the more you do that, the, more, the easier it is to navigate. So I hope I covered as many angles I was able to cover. Obviously, much more to say. But I hope, um, and this is in a way the mission of the Meaningful Life Center is to create trusting environments, but not one that we can demand. You have to earn it. Like I said, you earn it by the consistent messages and the ability to be around people. And I've been blessed to be around people, thank God, in my own team and people I work with and people I, I, uh, I spend time with and uh, interact with. And I, I always find that if you create that trusting environment, it becomes contagious and even has a viral effect because then it brings out also the best in others. And those that have their issues is their problem. That's how I look at it. It doesn't become my problem or someone else's problem. You do your best. And the more you give off that good energy, the best is like a little light dispels a lot of darkness. I find trust and love and unity and all the and purity always will be more powerful than their antithesis, which is divisiveness and fragmentation. It's only when you don't have that love then the absence of it becomes very powerful. But darkness is only strong when there's no light. So the key is to keep spreading the light, build it in your own life, and automatically begins to spill over. So I hope we at the Meaningful Life Center are doing that for all of you, and I hope you can do it for us. And together, we're partners in this journey, in this venture, in this enterprise. And we're here, as now Passover has just ended, when we get freed from these different constraints, including issues with trust and so on. And we are now also in the process of the 49 day of counting and refining our personalities. Seven times seven, if you're familiar with my book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer. If you go and in the app store, you can get a free app called Free Omer. I'm sorry, My Omer, My Omer which is literally you'll get, every day, you'll get every day a reminder plus an exercise and a meditation. And it's really a wonderful way to really grow personally, to look at yourself. And it's another way of re- creating unity in yourself because when you look at your own details, the details, and evaluate your own personality, 
how much you, how you give, how you take, discipline in your life, the giving and love in your life, the discipline in your life, the compassion, the endurance, ambition, and humility, and the bonding and dignity of your life. Those are the seven emotions. And seven times seven, that alone frees you because you're able to see where my strengths are and where my, where, which, what needs improvement. So you can check it out, get it on the, on the app and set it settings as you see fit, as well as if you'd like to get the emails, just email us and we'll be happy to send it to you as well. And plus many other array, a wide array of resources that help you build that nest and that trusting environment, all at MeaningfulLife.com. So everyone have a very trusting and beautiful week. So until next Wednesday, this has been Simon Jacobson, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Be well. Bye-bye.